0: This week, we speak with Marique Flamont, the CEO of Metal. Metal is a free business account by NatWest that helps small businesses start, run and grow. It's built for startups, limited companies and sole traders. We discuss how she thinks about building high-performance teams, Metal's growth strategy, how the customers change as a result of COVID-19, getting the mix right between Metal and NatWest, where innovation should happen, online security, race, diversity, and inclusion in banking and finance. We also discuss her favorite books, mentors, mistakes, and much, much more. Enjoy the chat. Three, two, one. Marie Flamont is the CEO of Metal, a challenger bank for SMEs. She has worked across the globe in a diverse range of companies from luxury giant LVMH, to Boston Consulting Group and ExpediousHotels.com to Crypto Giant Circle. At Hotels.com, she was in charge of Europe, Middle East, and Africa, a $2 billion PL. She's been managing director of Europe and global CMO for Circle, one of the largest cryptocurrency companies in the world. She is also a passionate advocate for diversity and inclusion in finance and technology. She was recognized in the Women in Fintech Powerlist for 2017 and 2019 and is frequently featured by the BBC, Financial Times, and Forbes. Marie Flamant, welcome to Dot Innovate.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolute pleasure having you on the show. You, you've got a fantastic background in history. You've held roles at LVMH, Louis Vuitton, Boston Consulting Group, Hotels.com, and Circle, as we mentioned. That's not the typical background of a bank CEO, is it? <laughs>
1: Well, not really, but I, you know, I wonder what's the typical background of a, of a bank CEO. Uh, it's true that I've actually traveled a lot. I was lucky enough uh, from a very young age, actually, to move across different countries. Um, and I think that that has spelled in me just like this idea of curiosity, right? And how can you improve things? How can you make things better? Um, so, yeah, maybe not typical, but, you know, uh, all paths can lead somewhere.
0: <laughs> definitely, definitely. What has what such a diverse background done to the way that you look at financial services today, I, I imagine with all of the innovation and disruption happening in retail and sort of c- the cryptocurrency world, that sort of experience would have lended itself quite nicely to the world of banking today.
1: Yes, completely. Well, look, m- my background is I'm a computer science engineer. So I've always been actually fascinated by technology and what, ki- what it can do and how it can change People's lives. And I think the first real experience I had on that uh, was uh, through hotels.com at Expedia. And it was very, very focused on customer experience and doing the best thing for customers so that they could find their ideal trip and and go on holidays uh, smoothly. And that is something that then I took on uh, working in, in crypto and in blockchain. And there, the idea was well, all those, you know, great ideas that you have in consumer digital technology, uh, of which travel was actually one of the first, you know, verticals that was actually disrupted. What if you take that and you apply some of that to the financial world and with a new technology such as blockchain? Um, and that's where I started looking at the financial world. And, and it's still something that needs to be very much disrupted. And there is a lot of the best-in-class customer experiences that you can see in an Amazon, in a Google, uh, in a Netflix, in an Expedia that are not yet taken on board uh, in the financial industry. So that's one part. And then the other part is the underlying of how uh, how the financial world works, right? So if you have new ways of sending an email or sending a video why why doesn't money flow yet uh, around as seamlessly as that so that's really you know if i connect the dots it's this idea that there is new things that technology enables us to do finance is the most important thing that is in our lives and and therefore why and how can we take on this technological innovation and bring that to to the financial world
0: You get your MBA from London Business School in 2011 after already having a career in consulting and high fashion, as we mentioned earlier. What was it that first attracted you to the world of financial services? Because traditionally, it's a, it's an industry that is very male dominated, not a huge amount of diversity, as we'll come to, I'm sure, a little bit later. What first attracted you to the world of financial services?
1: Yeah, I think it's actually, it's it's actually technology, right? So it's interesting when you, because you've pointed the MBA and when I was doing the MBA, I, I was absolutely not interested in in working in finance I could see all my classmates going into you know finance industry finance banking interviews and so on and so forth and and I was just like this is not this is not for me so my entry point into finance was really through technology uh, and I remember actually when I first you know stumbled on blockchain which was i think we can we can call that stumbling but when I first stumbled <laughs> on blockchain, what I, what I realized was that technology can really change the way money moves around. And then I I actually realized that I didn't understand how money was going from one account to the other. So then I started hmm. looking at that and trying to understand that. So really, my coming into banking and finance is more through, uh, through technology and through saying there is something there that can be changed and improved. And it, it actually, you know, a lot of my um mba classmates laugh at me because they they can remember that you know I was looking at that thing so like oh no i'm never going to work in it. i'm never going to do that right <laughs> i'm never going to do that and actually you know now now they're like well actually you you did it and you're now in in the midst of it but again it's the yeah. drive for technology that that is um that is getting me there
0: really fascinating Let, let's talk a little bit about metal metal is a challenger sme bank most incumbent banks give smes an overdraft and a, and a balance and and that really doesn't really help users pivot and really change direction and change their business environment. But for, for Metal, the idea, as I understand it, is really about creating forward-looking business banking, banking where you can sort of use the bank to really sort of help navigate and chart a new course and direction in your business. There are a lot of other challenger banks on the market right now. W- what makes Metal different, special, stand out?
1: Yeah, great question. And look, so you've you really said it really nicely. Metal um, is an SME digital bank. We focus on actually what we call uh, the smallest end of SMEs, right? So it's your sole trader, your freelancer. Uh, it's the, the people out there who are starting on their own. They have this idea and they actually need a business bank account to get them ready. And when we do, when we did our research, actually, and which we do on an ongoing basis, but what we understand is that there is a fear, right? It's it, All you want to do is start your business. You're passionate about this one thing that you want to sell or craft or, or do uh, and yet you have this whole array of things uh, oh my god i need i need a bank account i need maybe an accountant mm. how do i do my tax return what does it mean and so on mm. and so forth so there's this fear and there's this idea that it takes too much time and at metal what we focus on is what we call jobs to be done right we want people we want to help people get paid uh, on time. We want it for them to be easy to raise an invoice. We want it for them to be easy to actually have the accountancy tools that they need because they're integrated within the app. We just want to make that an experience that is seamless and where you have less fear so that you can actually really focus on, on your business. Um, you've also rightly pointed out that there are a lot of um, players in this area, which you know I think just highlights the fact that uh, there is a need for better customer experience. There is a need for having something that is on your phone, that is seamless, that is really easy to use and handle. Uh, and that's why you have actually a lot of players going into that. Our uniqueness is actually the fact that we are this hybrid between, uh, you know, a fintech and actually we're backed by NatWest. So it's metal by mm-hmm. NatWest. That's one of the big things that, you know, actually, I think helps. It actually helps in the way we operate. It's actually really uh, intrinsically in our DNA in terms of how we build the company. But at the same time, we have this agility and nimbleness uh, of, being, of being a tech player. Um, the other thing that you know we, we are really keen on, and we're just getting started on that journey, but it's the deep integrations that we do uh, with certain partners to make sure that we can provide the best experience to our customers. And I'll give you a concrete example on that. Um, we, we work with free agent, free agent is also part of the NatWest family. Um, and we've integrated within the app of Metal. You can actually get free agent, free agent for free, but also the flow of information will just continue getting better and better so that you have a less experience between your business bank and actually also your uh, your accountancy tool so that all in all basically we take out the hassle and you can focus on your business
0: really fascinating well you say that you you focus on the the sole trader and sort of freelancer end end of the market there's been a huge increase in that end of the market sort of setting up their own businesses recently as a result of COVID-19 job insecurities and, and layoffs and it's sort of a perfect time for many businesses that have been meaning to set up on their own for some time to do that. I imagine that you've seen quite a spike in uh, new accounts being registered. How, which specific segments of the market are growing have you seen or are quite attractive to you? And how specifically are you helping those solopreneurs, those freelancers that have never really done this before grow a a fledgling business.
1: Yeah, and I think, so we've we've definitely seen exactly what you're mentioning, right? I mean, I'm sure you have also personal cases around you, but... um Sure. You know, people who've been furloughed and and sitting at home and are thinking, okay, I need to reinvent myself. I've always had this idea of starting my e-commerce business and actually maybe now it's the time to do that. And so if you do that from your flat, then you need to find your business bank account. And so we've definitely started to see a trend uh, in more digital e-commerce platform and people starting to get on the vibe of saying, okay, I have an idea, I have a product that I can sell, want to sell, want to actually start commercializing how do I do that? Um, the, the way we want to focus in helping is actually this idea of simplicity, right? So this idea mm. that um, it it shouldn't be hard for you to get started. It shouldn't be hard for you to actually start uh, making an income and raise invoices and actually do the right thing for your taxes, sure. start putting money aside. So we've just started to try out... Um, a feature that we call a money pot, but it's it's this ability to start putting aside 20% of your money so that when the tax come, you've already actually done that and you're not taken by mm. surprise. Um, so it it's around I could use exact, that. Yeah. It, <laughs> all of us could use that. <laughs> but but I think you know that that's the that's the direction we're going into, which is simplicity, but making sure that you feel confident that you actually are doing the right thing for your business uh, and are not going to be caught by surprise uh, when, when, you know, tax comes or, uh, or any of that.
0: Mm, Really fascinating. Well, the challenge for a number of challenger banks and your competitors for a long time has been that consumers have had a reluctance to really use the service in the way that they really want to, i.e. putting their whole salaries in, in their bank. And I guess that's born out of the fact that we've banked with, you know, the traditional Lloyds, TSBs, NatWest for you know for a very long time since we were children, um, and the challenge for a lot of the uh, your competitors, not naming any names, we all know who they are, is that they haven't really convinced consumers to really use the bank in the way that they want to put their whole salaries in there. Is that one of the reasons why you your you have the strength of NatWest RBS behind you, and do you see a similar challenge? that you've overcome because you have that affiliation with the larger bank?
1: So I, I think it, it's, um, it's spot on. Right. And it's also something that I've, I've personally experienced in, in my career. Right. So working for, you know, a, a crypto company uh, which was a known and handling people's money it's always harder to actually uh, build the strengths of a brand and actually give the confidence to customer that uh, that you know their money is safe and that uh, this is something that is here to stay and also here with the right uh, oversight of Mm. uh, of your rights and and you know it's uh, how do we look after for example uh, customers and how do we make sure that money is safe and so on and so forth so yes it is definitely a strength something and it's you know it's part of all the improvement that we have to make so metal is not yet a full bank right we are working on uh, pps which is means that we are e money license but this is also still part within of the the fact that we are buying NatWest is still we are within the NatWest family. So anything mm-hmm. that we look at from, uh, you know, risk and regulation and compliance and all of that, we have the oversight of a bank, uh, which means that we take things very, very uh, carefully, um, which I think is something that, you know, maybe in some of our competitors has not always been done because you chase growth and you don't necessarily look at the bigger picture of any of the risks that are taken and how you can maximize the protection for your customers. So, yeah, and I think it's interesting. We are starting to see that... Um, that helps right it, it's also the combination of two things it's not um if we were just natwest then it's actually part of the same family but the fact of having this new brand uh metal which i think is actually a very powerful name it, it you know it gives it all like as an entrepreneur mm. solopreneur you need to have metal to actually start your own business but having sure. that metal by natwest is actually a very strong uh, it's a very strong collaboration and we are definitely starting to see that uh people, you know, want to trust that. And and actually having the backing of a big bank is really important. Hmm.
0: You you spoke about trust a moment ago. Now, the global banking crisis of 2008 was 12 years ago now. Uh, It doesn't seem that long ago. But for a long time, banks and bankers specifically were really scared and embarrassed to really show themselves because there was a lot of dislike for a lot of people in the in the banking industry for obvious reasons. Since then, tighter regulation, more oversight has sort of been introduced. And with a couple of exceptions, banks have generally been behaving themselves. Are we ready to trust banks again?
1: Oh, definitely. Look, I, I think there is definitely tighter oversight, more regulations. Uh, and all of that is actually mean that, you know, the way organizations are run is quite uh, it's quite different. I think this COVID is actually probably a unique situation and place for uh, the banking industry in general, but to cast a light on on the great things that are being done in the bank, right? So actually being able to handle loans and and serve and support what the governments want to do to make sure that businesses can survive um, without the banks that that wouldn't be possible. and unfortunately, you know the size of the fintechs that are around is not yet the size of uh, that is needed to support the entire industry. So hopefully, you know this actually helps change. The way uh, you know the way the banking industry has been seen uh, since 20, 2008, and and this helps cast a different light on it. Uh, but it's true, you know, I can't compare it to before because it's not an industry I was working in before. But mm. what I can say is that now the, the level of oversight and rigor that is being looked at, um, always with the customer in mind, right? So our customers treated fairly, our customers safe, like that is very very strongly embedded, which I think is a, is an excellent thing.
0: Hmm. It, I was surprised to hear you say a moment ago that the number of challenger banks in the market aren't serving the the majority of, um, of the people in the UK that need to be banked. I'm, I'm not sure what, I, I can't remember what, what exactly your terminology was, but it, but suffice to say that the the, the market isn't, isn't saturated yet. There are still a number of people in the UK and around the world who are underbanked, who don't have access to um, the banking, the sort of the fintech revolution that has sort of changed, um, a lot of our our lives in the banking landscape. How, what are, what's the financial services industry doing and and what are you doing to make sure that those people that are underbanked sort of are involved more in the financial services ecosystem?
1: Yeah. And so that's an excellent question. I think the underbanking, uh, issue, in particular, as things are moving more and more towards being digital, one of the challenges that you can very quickly become underbanked, in particular, if you don't have the the technology, right? So if you don't have a phone, then you become all mm-hmm. of a sudden cut out. But not only from, from bank, right? You become cut out from actually a lot of what the society has to offer and, and is moving towards. And I think that's where the, the fine balance that actually banks can offer uh, and the fine balance that banks can offer between a digital world, but also, uh, you know, keeping uh, keeping branches and making sure that people can be involved still within that world um, hmm. is probably still quite important. And metal, what we what we want to uh, what we look after and what we really want to put an emphasis on is this idea of uh, actually inclusion uh, and diversity. Sorry, making sure that it's for anyone who would want to start a business. So, granted, you know, to contradict a little bit what I just said, but you need a phone to have metal, right? And you sure. need a phone to have the app. But uh, if you have that basic phone, then Can you actually start your business? Can you focus on doing that so that you can thrive Mm. in your life? That's what we want to do. And we want to make sure that that's for anyone within the UK, because that's the market that we serve, Uh, but making sure that we are not actually, um, you know, just focusing on on certain sub-segments.
0: Let's talk a little bit about your time as a CEO. You've been CEO of Metal for 10 months now. What things were top of your agenda when you first started in the role?
1: Uh, what was top of mind? So, a uh, couple of things. So, I joined because I think Metal is a is a great proposition. I joined because when I looked at you know NatWest and the approach to actually innovation and having again this unique mix of uh, having within an innovation digital venture hub the possibility to run teams the way. Uh, The best technology companies would do it out there, which means small mission teams agile to its best and so on and so forth. Yet being backed by the knowledge and the know-how of a bank, that's why I joined. uh, And that's something that really appealed me. Um, And so the first thing that I looked at was actually our workforce and and Mm -hmm. saying, "Okay, there is a great team here. But probably most of those team are actually not full-time members. And I really believe it's it's super important to have uh, team members who are committed, right? So not only just contractors and consultants, but people who really live and breathe and want to be there for the long term and the long run and actually build that um, and stay with you. So my first agenda was actually the product was not launched. So I was like, we need to get this into the market. Um, and I, I need to put in place the team that will take this from zero today and then to like hundreds of thousands of customers as we think and start building the next couple of years um so i've been spending a lot of time on that i've been spending a lot of time on making sure that the metal value and culture could also be better understood within uh within the bank because again i I really believe in this symbiosis right the the ideal situation we're in is that uh yes we are you know we are on the side and we work with different ways of working, and uh, we've built our teams differently. and we look at customers with you know framework jobs to be done and things that again are seen mostly in the technology world. But actually, the value that we can also bring back to netwest is is helping, share that understanding and share like how things are done in a different way Uh, and again learn from also the main bank in terms of going back to you know a a topic that is really important risk and regulation and compliance and having that oversight and basically mixing mixing the two worlds so um, yeah i've also spent quite a lot of time on that agenda and making sure that we can have the best of that same symbiosis, which, you know, it, it sometimes come with friction, which I think is always a good thing, because that's when you see that there is really two different things. And how can you actually make the best out of that, um, which is, again, a different model from, you know, completely external diff- startups that are on their own or banks that are trying to do within their already models and established teams, uh, digital propositions.
0: You spoke a moment ago about growth of the customer base. Talk a little bit about what your approach is to increasing the, the number of, of um, customers using metal, because uh, some of your competitors, Starling uh, and Monzo, in the early days grew exponentially on the back of really quite innovative viral campaigns. Um, my question is, is viral growth still possible for, this, for, for for banks at this stage of their evolution, uh, considering that there are a number of other players in the marketplace. Uh, I assume that COVID-19 would have given a huge shot in the arm to the increase in solopreneurs and freelancers setting up their own businesses. So that's, that's definitely helped. But talk a little bit about what your approach is to increasing the customer base.
1: Yeah. And great question. And and that's, you know, one of the fundamental beliefs that I have and I learned from actually early on at, at Expedia is that to have very successful um, growth strategy, you need to be very embedded between your uh, marketing partnership and product teams. And, and those strategies need to work in symbiosis. So for us, it goes back to our customers. And, and we say, okay, who is our customer? And therefore, where is it that our customers, what are the touch points and the journey that they have when they start creating their business? Uh, and where is it that we would be most effective for them to start being, right? And so with that in mind, then it means that we build partnerships to say, well, when you start building your company, you're going to register your company. And so there is an hmm. immediate first touch point, which is when you register your company, if metal can be proposed to you there as a business bank account, then that's an ideal step. So can we build a partnership within that? And then we'll go and do mm-hmm. that. Um, another thing that we look at, um, and again, it comes back with our free agent um relationship and collaboration, we say, well, actually, when you start your business, um, some people will also go directly to an accountant and they'll basically start working with an accountant and say, I have this idea, where do I even start? And so accountants are very often the starting point for someone to start their business. So there again, we'd look at that and we'd actually say, well, that's a great starting point. Can we build relationships and partnerships with accountants? So at Metal, something it's actually quite different. We haven't been focused on you know viral and growth at any cost. What we are mm-hmm. taking and doing is a very considerate approach for what I would call uh, quality usage. Right, I, again, a big believer that actually. We need to um, spend our marketing dollar very wisely, but we also need to make sure that the customers who come really use the product to the best of, you know, all the features that it has to, to offer. And that means looking at, you know, who are our current users? What type of businesses do they have? How do we find more people like them? Where is it that people actually go when they start their business? Um, are all the features being used? If they are not, how come? What is it that we actually need to evolve within the app? Um, we've built a. Um, a star customer panel um and and those are some of our you know best 100 customers to whom we constantly talk and we say, okay, what is it that, you know, you'd like to see more of? Uh, what is it that is really working? What are the next needs that you have? And and we keep building the product with them uh, in that fashion. Hmm. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's this mix of, it has to be really embedded in the way of thinking. And ultimately it all goes back to the customer, right? Who, who's the customer? What's the journey that they have? And therefore what are the touch points that you need to take for, them seeing uh, your product because then it needs to be the right product for them uh, to use at that point in their in their journey
0: really fascinating and and have you spent much time thinking about how the consumer has changed as a result of COVID-19 um you, you know for for all of us at the beginning of the year we all we all had these plans as to what the year was going to look like and then suddenly February and March came and, and the rug was pulled from under our feet and um I. I believe that consumers and businesses all have a new relationship to fear now and sort of uncertainty and 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 risk. and starting a business is the definition of uncertainty, fear and and risk. um talk a little bit about how you feel the consumer has changed in their relationship to uh, the the risk profile moving forward as as it results to their own personal finances as we know, Finance is finance is a very sort of emotive uh, sort of subject for a lot, a lot of people. Uh, there's a lot of sort of emotional uh, behavioral psychology under un, underneath all of it. Talk a little bit about how you feel the consumer has changed in light of COVID nineteen and what opportunities does that create for the bank?
1: Yeah, well, I think I think it's actually spot on, right? I think the the amount of stress that this is putting on on all of us, but in particular, small business owners uh, is tremendous, right? And I think we've seen several things. So the first wave is actually a wave of, oh my God, my business doesn't exist anymore, right? And I think Mm. that that first wave comes into is this going to be temporary? Is this going to be long-term? And and I think, you know, for example, um, some of our customers have uh, do, uh, do food and, and they have a food truck. What does that mean if you can't actually serve your customers anymore and there is no going in the street and getting that sandwich that you used to be getting? So sure. how do you actually reinvent yourself from that? And so I think on that we've seen on our existing user base, um, this idea that actually you need to Shift your business, and so how can you reinvent yourself and do something that maybe is digital? That is it even viable? How do you do that? Mm-hmm. Um, with that, we've also seen things such as you know, if you look at the costs you were incurring in your business, um, how can you actually protect your your funds and funding? And so, metal doesn't offer, for example, bounce back loans or or uh, any of the Sybils that are offered by the government. But we've tried to actually redirect our customers so that they could actually find the right places for. Having that if they needed to have that, but that's also putting immense amount of pressure right? in terms of saying, well, my business is going under, I need to reinvent myself. How do I find the time and, and the space to, to breathe? But on the positive side, I think here is when I when I look at things, this whole this whole phase has basically put an acceleration on digitalization. And while before, uh, you know, some of our customers might be thinking, well, it's still okay if I, you know, if I give a box of invoices to my accountant, it's like paper invoices, and then we'll handle that and I'll see, I'll see my accountant face to face, all of that is gone. And, and so how do you then evolve? You have to start thinking, well, it has to be digital, it has to be a Zoom call, it has to be actually over maybe an app. I need a digital way of doing that. I need a digital way of actually serving my customers. And so mm. To me there's been this huge acceleration of um, our collective and individual knowledge on uh, digital and what it means right so we've all had to basically train ourselves up and and know how to handle all those tools that now are uh you know now it's three months after it almost looks like yes we we can do this right Um, yeah so i think those are some of the the things we've seen and I actually the last part of what you mentioned, which is you know the stress of creating a business and and um, the fact that it's not easy, it's true. But I also think that you know this period has been what we've seen in our customers at some time, and we see that with new customers coming on. Right, there's been a period of reflection, um, and I can think in particular of you know very concrete case, um, a couple both have been furloughed, uh, and you know in their flat, and they're like, well, okay, we we can leave because we've been furloughed, we're fine but this this might get worse and so they started a, they started a, a digital online business because she's a creative person and now they're thriving on that and actually even if they they you know the furlough ends and they still have their job they're like well maybe we found a new passion and we'd like mm. to pursue that so i think somewhere somehow it's also giving a, a place for re- reinventing lives and and therefore maybe jumping and doing something that looks really scary but might not be that scary
0: Mm, really, really fascinating. Let, let's talk a little bit about innovation. Metal came out of RBS and NatWest Innovation Lab or Innovation Hub. Um, where should innovation be done? Uh, there are countless examples of organize, large organizations who have uh, similar initiatives, innovation hubs, um, slightly removed from the core running of the business and other organizations have chosen to sort of do their R&D and innovation in-house. Is there a preferred model in your mind? What's what's the best way for innovation to be done in a large uh, corporate environment where change can be slow?
1: Well, I think that's a fascinating question. And, you know, I, I, so one that I pondered a lot uh, on before joining, and actually I think of probably on a daily basis. And you're right, there are a lot of models out there, but there is no perfect model. And And what I mean by that is that actually... Each organization needs to find what is right for its own organization in terms of how do you help innovation thrive, but also how do you help not suffocate it, but also how do you take the best of what's coming out of innovation to then put it back in your business? Because if you have this thing that is just purely completely on the side then is that really like, you know, then, then you're basically sure. saying, well, you know, my business has no chance and I'd rather have something on the side, which isn't, sure. you know, insurance. And, and, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking at it, but if it goes wrong, I can also shut it down. Right? <laughs> I, I don't think, I don't think that's the right, I, I really don't think that's the right way. So that's why when I was talking a bit earlier about, um, this idea of symbiosis, and this idea of saying, well, look, there is a new way of doing things, uh, there is a new way of, uh, for example, you know, we use, we use different uh, email services, we, we use Google Suites, we use Slack, um, we use all the tools that are uh, in tech companies, because I actually really believe that those tools enable collaboration to a level that is not possible with uh, some of the existing tools that, for example, might be uh, existing in, in, uh, in the main bank. But, Having that and actually showcasing and helping uh, understand what that can do, I think is actually extremely uh, extremely helpful. The The part of it also is to say, well, if there is a different way to do an existing process and we can reinvent that process and use different tools, then let us show that we could do that. And we could also then say, well, we can do that on a small scale. And then you can actually say, well, that's great. Could we do that on a bigger scale sure. within, within the bank? So actually, not, not you know, that I want to, <laughs> to sound uh, to sound biased, but I think the, the model that is implemented at NetWest is unique, but I think is actually extremely interesting because it's, mm. it's a venture hub. There is a lot of freedom within each venture, but actually, there is also this oversight of making sure that the knowledge and the know-how from a risk and governance perspective from the bank is actually applied from a very early stage, which means that the earlier stages of the growth might be slower, but then they are very solid. And then on mm-hmm. the other hand, there is this idea of saying, well, if you have a better way to actually uh, you know, do communication, if you have a better way to work within your team, if you have a better way to actually hire, retain it, and handle talent, like do it and show us mm. what it looks like and, and how we could do that. Um, so I think, I think that's actually a really good model. Of course it, it has, you know, it's not, it's not an all rosy. Yeah. Sure, life. But, perfect but, model, but right? Exactly. It's not a perfect model, but I'm yet to see a perfect model. Right. And then it, mm-hmm. this idea of finding, if you can find also a way to give back to the uh, bigger organization that that can have, because it's a bigger organization by default, right. Then that can have an impact that is actually a very important impact.
0: You, you spoke a moment ago about compliance, governance, and and risk. Talk a little bit about that in the environment of COVID nineteen. We're, we're all working from home and remote remote environments these days. Uh, security and compliance is is a main a big issue for banks. And with so many of us working from home these days, how how are you thinking about making sure that sensitive customer data is kept safe and secure? at this sensitive time
1: yeah and i think that's you know it goes back to the premises of what is online security and how could you do uh with the best tools that exist out there cloud native based um, security and and you know mm. metal is in a unique position because we were actually already a very remote heavy organization before this all started and so the mm. the way we've built the system we use and the way we've actually built our technology has been done with actually security in mind uh, and actually how we can actually handle our laptops and working from home. So I think that's actually been an advantage for us moving into COVID, which has been quite seamless in terms of, you know, unplugging. And honestly, our productivity went up significantly which you know i I know we talk a lot about like well now it's time to get back to normal productivity i'm like well what do you mean we've been (laughs) we've been actually yeah we've (laughs) had it and and one of the challenges has been more to make sure that people find the boundaries between working from home and actually being able to shut off at some point because again Mm -hmm. the you know the beauty of all those slack and emails is that it's constant and if you don't have a, a proper you know, structure between home, and sometimes your office is actually in your bedroom, then it actually becomes Mm. really difficult. So I, you know, hasn't changed a lot. But again, it's more the mindset of how you build uh, technology from scratch, which I think is really Mm. important.
0: And when you've got your children knocking on your door and asking you for uh, their milk, that also makes it even more <laughs> <Yes>. challenging.
1: <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> final question before we get into our favourite questions at the end of the interview, Marieke. I could speak to you all, all day about this. It's absolutely fascinating. Uh, let's talk a little bit about DNI. i You're a huge advocate of diversity and inclusion in finance and technology. While you were there, um, Circle was the first... FinTech to sign the HMT Women in Finance Charter and achieve a 50-50 gender split. And even though we've seen a lot of progress in recent years, representation of women and minorities at the highest levels of leadership across the banking sector and financial services is still very white and it's still very male. Is the industry doing enough and and what more can be done?
1: Yeah, and, and I think, you know, a lot of that, I still think it's not enough. I still think we can do more. I think one thing that I look at and I think is a great thing is um, we've actually recently seen, you know, uh, more conversations uh, in particular around Black Lives Matter. And I think that's really important because it's almost like, you know, we've talked a lot about diversity and inclusion, but we haven't really talked about race. And and now the topic is really on the table. And in particular, what I've seen at METAL that we have open conversations. Um, I'm really proud to have seen actually that the employees have, you know, we've taken and we started different work streams. We're looking at what does it mean for our customers, what does it mean for our employees, how do we actually take that on, and are we doing enough in our uh, in the way we talk to people? Are we do what should we change? Um, and then we've basically started like a lot of different work streams and conversations, which I think at least from how I see it, it's game changing because before the the way um i've actually seen a lot of that driven it often felt to me that you know it if you are passionate about it it's good you can drive it but then you're like you know kind of solo trying to drive and 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 held the flag and the power of it is that when actually your employees are starting to say not enough not enough not enough Mm -hmm. that's actually great yes it's a sign that indeed not enough and you have to do more but it's also a sign that there is you know a need and a want to do something and it's not only driven by by very few people so a couple of things that we've done uh, at netwest and also at metal are you know sessions and having people just openly talking about what does it mean to be what does it mean to be a black employee and, and what, you, what are actually all the different things that are happening uh, and, and micro racism uh, and, and all the things that you know mm-hmm. even I, yes i'm a very big advocate of diversity but there're still things that i hadn't realized and i you know hmm. i felt like oh my god i i got part of the picture and yes i've been reading books and but it's still not enough right so i think sure. that understanding that we all need to educate ourselves and we need to do more um, I think it's great. But, you know, to your, to, your real, to your question, which was, do we need to do more? Absolutely, like, it's, mm. not, it's not done unless we really represent our customers. And when you look at, you know, our customers are, you know, our customers are much more diverse than, than what we actually sure. really have today in banks in general, and in fintech and in tech in particular. So there is, mm. there is a lot of work to be done, definitely.
0: Mm, Really well said. Marique, let's get into our our favorite questions now. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests. I'm really excited to ask you some of them as well. Um, Tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience.
1: (laughs) You know what? I was thinking about that. Maybe I'm just too optimistic. Um, (laughs) I don't really see anything as failing. (laughs) I just see it as like, you know, learning something. And even when I was thinking about that, it's like, oh gosh, when is it that I failed? And I can't, yeah, me. It just it sounds really bad. But,
0: but by the way, that's a very tech thing to say because all of the largest, you know, if you look at Silicon Valley, they don't talk about failure at all. They talk about failing their way to success. Yeah. What is it? All all of the biggest startups, um, they've had to fail in order to to innovate. So there is no such thing as failure. I'm not surprised. Yeah, com- by the com- answer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but maybe, you know, if I if I think in hindsight, something I actually um and probably I wouldn't be here today if if I hadn't failed is um mm. So I'm French. I've been educated in French system. And, and I did what we call classe préparatoire, grande école, which is like, it's basically a system which is parallel to university, but it's very elitist. And and I was in that system. And for me, it was all about getting into that top school, which is called Polytechnique. And I failed the entry exam and m- my world crumbled. And I you know, I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm never going to make it in life. Like, this is it. This is the end of me. I failed. Now I have to go to the second tier engineering school, which by the way, is not oh, a second tier. No. but I, you know in my mind at that yeah. time I was like you know that felt like that felt like that like and actually yeah. yeah but looking in hindsight I'm like thanks god <laughs> you know thanks that really? that happened and thanks god I, I got there and I learned all that so I think it's pretty the biggest learning from that is that I think it's it might be the last time I looked at something and said I fell because then to your point it's test and learn right sure. so you, you just sure. stand back up and and go back at it
0: Great answer. Tell us about some of your early mentors. Who influenced the way you think about uh, technology, the way you think about uh, fintech and financial services? Tell us who influenced your early career.
1: Yeah, so I'm, I'm a huge fan of actually having mentors and coaches. I, um, I think it's actually super important. Um, I play basketball. And I think that's the way of being trained and I bring that in business. Um, One of my early mentors is a man called uh, Jean-Christian Segure, so I met him when I was at uh, LVMH and at the time I was looking after IT systems and he was the vice president of Asia and Asia Pacific, so basically of the entire region. Um, and I had a conversation with him telling him about, you know, my career and how I was thinking about it and that I didn't really know about my next step. And basically, he took me under his wing and he taught me everything about actually finance, what a PNL was, what a balance sheet was, um, all of it. And actually, thanks to him, I changed my career quite significantly. Um, and I also learned and which I carry to this day from him a lot about the genuineness that you can, that a leader can have um, with their teams, right? And he was, he was kind and funny and just transparent and open. Um, and, and I think these values are um, extremely important. So I try to carry that. Um, I think another mentor um, that I've had in my career, which really marked the way I think um, is uh, Adam Jay, who is one of the leaders at, uh, at Expedia. Um, and again, same, I, I actually learned a lot from him also in terms of um, how to actually uh, think about business more broadly, but also, and I've been also quite a fan of having, you know, uh, male perspective around me because being sometimes mm. a woman, I felt like I, I didn't necessarily understand how to, how to act or play the game or what was really, uh, what was really happening. So he helped me actually demystify a lot of it Uh and just thrive in a company uh, and encouraging me and just saying like, you know, that, that uh, almost anything could be possible, but also finding Mm. my voice within, within that company. So I think, yeah, those are pretty the two, uh, the two mentors who've had the biggest influence on, on my career.
0: Sound like great, great mentors. Just on the leadership um, question, what what, what type of leader are you? I mean, you, you mentioned your first mentor there. You learned a lot from him around sort of leadership. Are, Are you more of a, commercial leader commercially focused are you more collaborative top-down despotic authoritarian <laughs> <laughs> what, what what how would you characterize your leadership style
1: well i think you, you need to ask you need to ask my team because what i'm gonna say is really very different i will no, I, I'll I, I i'll tell you what i'd like to think i am so um Uh, And a word that comes back very often to me is uh, fearless. Um, So (laughs) I'm quite fearless in the way that I drive, but also the way I I want my team to feel, right? So I I back my team up. I'm there for them because it's together that we do something Definitely very collaborative because, again, uh, I I played basketball a lot in my life and I really believe in team sports and I believe that on your own, you're nothing. And if you actually don't lean on each other's strengths, then uh, the team is not going to win. And the last point is actually uh, the customer centricity, right? So um, talking with customers, understanding what the customer's pain points are and so on and so forth is really key to me. And so having all those, you know, the daily stories, like when I speak to Mm people it's in particular like why do you start a business what what are the pain points how do you handle your life today like all of that and uh, I think it's actually really important but I think you know you should ask the team <laughs> I, <don't know.
0: laughs> I will as soon as as soon as we're done with this podcast uh, in secret <laughs> uh, tell us about some of your favorite books what do you read for personal development professional development what books have been most influential in your life and career
1: yeah so I I actually read a lot really a lot and a couple of books uh so the hard thing about hard things is probably a book yeah I love it and I go you know I go back to it quite a lot I'm like oh gosh Mm. he mentioned that in this paragraph I should read that so that's Mm. a that's a really important book um Crucial conversation. He, yeah. says,
0: he says in that book, starting a business is like eating glass, which is one of <laughs> my favorite lines of any book. It <laughs> kind of just summarizes it, doesn't it? Yeah.
1: It does, actually. It does. That requires metal.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it requires back to metal.
1: Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, this one is a really good book. Um, Crucial Conversation is a book that uh, completely Mm. changed the way I actually approach uh, conversation, Um, and so it's also some—it's one book that I recommend a lot uh, in my teams. um, You know how to—it's also helpful in your personal life, right? So it always Uh starts with like very often people want the same thing, like you want a business to thrive, you want a healthy relationship, like people want the same Mm. thing, but the way we convey it. is, you know, it's not, it's not the same. And therefore we don't understand each other. And often it feels like it's a fight when it shouldn't be a fight. So that mm. book is actually quite quite an important one. Um, and then I'm actually, I'm obsessed with podcasts. So mm. I, I listen Obviously a lot. Don't
0: innovate podcasts. <laughs>
1: exactly. <to> that.
0: <laughs> Obviously, that goes without saying.
1: Um, but also I'm obsessed with uh, Tim Ferry's podcast. I, I don't huh. know if you, yeah, they're really good. because I may have heard of him. Oh gosh, it's it's a it's a lot about um, the life of very successful people, but really yeah. from their you know their day to day and their habits and the mental framework they use and all of that. And I think that is super helpful because you know for me it's a lot about like growth and curiosity and and we all sure. are work in progress, right? So on a daily sure. basis, it's what can you do to improve yourself. And I think listening to uh, other very successful people um, is really good and and recently michelle obama also just launched a podcast so i'm a right. fan of her book so becoming her book yep, and becoming the netflix all of that i think it's uh, <laughs> the way she she carries herself and her genuine you know transparency and all that i, I think oh. is phenomenal but her first podcast episode is with uh, barack obama which i think is also huh. uh, extremely good so um yeah I'll
0: check it out Really fascinating. Some some great recommendations there. I'll I'll add crucial conversations to my very long Amazon reading list. Um, <laughs> yeah. what what do you do to keep mentally and physically fit? You've talked about basketball. Anything else?
1: Yeah, I um so right now basketball is not really possible, uh, but looking forward to coming back to that and playing with the team. Uh but what I do, I, I run, I swim, uh I do yoga. Sports is a really important part of the balance that I have. Um, so I, I do spend, I actually make sure every day that I have at least an hour to do that uh, for myself. And yeah. then I have, um, I have a, a young baby boy who is 16 months old. And I think just oh. time with him is, <laughs> is the best uh, mindful thing I can do because he's in another planet. So uh, <laughs> Completely.
0: Right. Without COVID-19, he has no idea what's going on. Uh, That's fascinating. Tell us, um, what are you streaming on TV these days, Amazon Prime or, or Netflix? What are you watching that's good?
1: Uh, I'm actually uh, I'm actually more Netflix. But you know what, since COVID, I haven't looked at a lot of stuff. Um, I hmm. actually read more than I, I, and it's pretty since the birth of my son, actually, I, I read more when I have time rather than watching something. But the last thing I've watched, which I'm obsessed with, is uh, The Last Dance with Michael Jordan on Netflix. Great, Great um, documentary. Oh uh, yeah, uh, a phenomenal documentary, right. and like it, yeah, and it shows him in a different, you know. When I was growing up, I had all those posters of uh, basketball players, like two meter high, sure. surrounding me in my room, and now I'm like, sure. actually, I get to know a bit more about. And there is so many leadership lessons in that, like so many. What did you so learn? I, I, For example. Well, I, I think uh, look, again the power of coaching, right, and and the power that you can have in not. Just necessarily thinking that it's an individual, but the team in itself and when you look at Jordan and the team Yes, he's like an amazing better player than the rest of them But the moment he understands that it's actually he won't be able to carry it on his own and he needs Mm -hmm. the rest of the team and he actually Work with them to make them better. That's a pivotal moment Um, and I think that's a great lesson to carry in business
0: Final question about The Last Dance. Did you come out of that with a better impression of Michael Jordan or a worse impression? Because from what I've been reading and listening to, the jury is still out and it's been mixed.
1: Well, but I think, you know, you need to look at the man and what he's achieved. And, you know, would, with, if you'd be different, from what he's been, you wouldn't achieve that. So yes, he's sure. ultra competitive, but actually mm. sometimes sometime you need that. And, mm. and I think um, criticizing him is too easy. I mean, the mm. man is a giant. Like, yeah, you know, yeah.
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it really is, it really is. Final couple of questions and then I'll, I'll let you go. What advice would you give to a young person or a millennial who comes to you, as, comes to you and says that they want to start their career in the financial services world and they are um, a woman?
1: Well, I would say, um I would say it's a great idea. Um, I would say, um, understand the reasons why you want to do it, but you can absolutely do it. i'm I'm a fan of you can do anything you set your mind to um, as long as you're curious and you actually want to learn and want to grow uh, and you have the passion for it. Um, so I would definitely say do it. I would also encourage people to start thinking. How can they learn more? Uh, what are the skills that they have that they want to apply? And what are the skills that maybe they don't have yet that they actually want to learn to grow into that space? But I would say we need more women. We need more diverse people. So, uh, yes, definitely a great idea to join.
0: And my final question, Marique, what is it you know about the world of fintech and financial services today that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career?
1: Um, great question. I. I wish I knew. Um, I I wish I knew the amount of regulation that is <laughs> that is imposed in the Stop. world. Yeah, I I think that's the that's the thing, and I still think there is you know better way to sometimes simplify and look at that, and it's it's a common ex- it's an exercise that needs to be done with governments and regulators and so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, I think that's what I wish I knew, and and you know I'm sure. People who are starting fintech startup will say that. It's that often you come in and you're like, oh gosh, I didn't realize the amount of things that they are. And they're there for a good reason. Sure. Um, But yeah, it's probably that.
0: Really, really fascinating. Marie, thank you so much for doing this.
1: No worries. Thank you so much for having me.
0: We have been speaking with Marique Flamand. She is currently the CEO of Metal. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to other guests discussing all things innovation. Thank you for all your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at nathan.innovate.show. Please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Nathan We would be unable to do this show without our very own innovators. Ahmed Ahmed is our editor. Genevieve Magecki is our booker slash project manager. Marion Begum is our head of research. I'm Nathan Anibarbe. You've been listening to Dot Innovate. And we're done. <laughs>